Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you, Carolyn. And uh, I love that quote at the beginning from Oscar Wilde, uh, life's too important to be taken seriously. And um, I think it's an awesome quote. Um, I, you know, and, and Joanna, you were mentioning at the beginning how, you know, now more than ever, we need humor in our lives with what's happening out there. Okay. And I'm talking about the politics, not the COVID. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to get that in. Um, but uh you know, we need to find um, daily moments of joy, you know, to, to laugh uh, uh, at life sometimes and uh, relax and have some fun. I mean, if we don't, um, I mean, cha life's challenging enough and, and who wants to turn it into a, you know, it's, uh, you know, we should be enjoying it along the way. So yeah. Hello, sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCB Art Studio from the dressing room. Yes, we got it back, Ozzy and I, after our last podcast when we had a minor little takeover from my sister and her little dog, Rudy. But, but yes, we've got the podcast back. My name is Joanna, and today I have another roundtable discussion with authors Eric D'Souza, Alice Biena, and short story author and soon-to-be novelist C.J. Papoutsis. All of these members, all of these members, all of these authors are members of the Crime Writers of Canada, the Sisters in Crime, and or have spearheaded their own writing organizations. I would like, guys, ladies, if each of you could tell a little bit about yourselves and the genre of books and short stories you write, this is your time to brag and be proud of your accomplishments. So going from my Hollywood square is here, Eric, if we could start with you on the bottom left-hand corner. <laughs> Thank you, Joanna. Um, yeah, you told me to brag and it's sometimes maybe I'm too Canadian, so it's hard. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm the author of two books, uh, the first being uh, Straight Men and Gay Bars, which I wrote as a, an autobiography, creative nonfiction. Not necessarily meant to be funny because dealing with uh, my own personal addiction to alcohol, but uh, overcoming it and, uh, you know, dealing with alcohol, there's some hijinks there. So, <laughs> so there's some humor there. Uh, the second book, uh, which I wrote for my mom as an apology about my first book, uh, was <laughs> Death in Half Moon Bay, which is a cozy traditional mystery uh, set in the Sunshine Coast. Um, again, not necessarily meant to be funny, but there are elements of humor built into it. 
I'm also the webinar coordinator for Crime Writers of Canada. Um, so it's actually an honor to be on the other side of the mic. <laughs> Usually I'm the one asking the questions. Uh, last night uh, I was event or I hosted a panel for uh, Word Vancouver. So I do a lot of live events such as that and also a lot of events for Crime Writers of Canada uh, webinars. Again, always as the host position. So I love to be able to actually talk about my book this time. So it's great. Uh, I also moderate a Facebook page called Rocky Point Writers, which you're a member of. Um, and it's a great place for writers to talk about marketing. Um, I think it's one of the hats we have to wear as writers. We have to be creative people, but we also have to be able to get our work out there. So it's fun to discuss that both on Facebook and on um, we meet once a, once a month uh, via Zoom. And uh, we talk marketing. So uh, that's Rocky Point Writers. You can look us up on Facebook if anybody's interested and wants to talk marketing. Uh, and lastly, I sometimes work with the uh, Port Moody Library. So uh, I live in the lower mainland of Vancouver. I have a good connection with our library. We do a reading series called Writers in Our Mist. We try to do different genres, so it's not all mystery. Uh, upcoming, we have uh, an event for Halloween. So we're doing some of the spooky beer stuff. Good, that's good. Me. Excellent. That's great. Um, if And at any time you guys see me, you're looking down, it's because I'm writing notes. Okay. I'll, that's what I'm doing. So, okay. Well, let's take it up to the top left-hand corner. Alice, tell us about Hi. it. Yeah. Thanks, Joanna. I'm Alice Vienna. I live in Calgary and I write in the mystery, suspense, and uh, thriller genre. Uh, I'm the author of the Georgian Knight Private Investigator Mystery Series and uh, my debut novel, Nightblind, was um, 2016 Arthur Alice Award finalist for Best Unpublished Crime Manuscript that year. Uh, book three in the series, Three Dog Night, is being released this September. Yes. And uh, oh, yeah, yay. <laughs> uh, my uh, short story fiction has also been published in The Dame Was Trouble and uh, Crime Wave Anthologies. And um, I also collaborated this spring with uh, three other crime writers and we published a, our, a set of short stories in an anthology called uh, Last Shot. Um, I'm a member of Sisters in Crime West and, and um, crime, uh, crime Writers of Canada. Uh, before I started writing full-time in 2014, um, I worked as a geologist um, and I spent most of my early career conducting field exploration programs in uh, remote regions of Canada and talk about fodder for humor. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a lifetime of fodder for humor out of that experience. So uh, my former career in the energy industry uh, basically have left me with an appreciation for the magnificent beauty of Canada. Um, also a serious coffee addiction yeah. and uh, a permanent aversion to wet boots. So <laughs> <that's me>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. All right, Carol Ann, my bottom right corner, my critique partner, and God, you make me, you make my work funny. <laughs> okay, tell us about yourself. <laughs> well, I live in Victoria, BC. Um, I write mostly short mysteries and crime stories. Um, my short stories have been published in Stories Less Spoken. It's kind of like a podcast, um, season one. Senior Living Magazine here in Victoria and two anthologies, Drop Threads 2 and Blood on the Holly, as well as fairly recently online at commuterlit.com. I'm presently about three quarters of the way through a novel about a music teacher and an exterminator. Yes. 
I dabble in poetry and some of my poems have actually been published. Um, I used to work, for, I've worked for 35 years for the provincial government as a secretary and um, the last eight or so years as a secretary and judges, judges secretary and um, at Crown Council office. So that's, that's it. Yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, we used to work together and um, God, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Flashback, flashback. <laughs> right. Okay, so um, I've read all of your work, Alice, Eric, Caroline, and you make me laugh. And okay, just humor, I swear, is a tough nut. It's a tough nut to crack. And um, so let's start off first, kind of an icebreaker question. Knowing how you guys have made me laugh, I want to know what makes you laugh. So, Alice, do you have a comedian or a comedic author you particularly like and why? Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I agree with your comment that um, humor is very subjective. And, and so, you know, different things appeal to different people. Um, I find even different types of humor appeal to me depending on what's going on in my life and what kind of mood I'm at, I'm, uh, I'm in at the time. Um, but I think my favorite type of humor comes from looking sort of at just ordinary day-to-day -day things in life and uh, taking some aspect of it and either poking fun at it or exaggerating it or looking at it from a different perspective to maybe see the absurdity in the situation, you know, which may have not looked absurd at the time that it was happening. So, uh, wow, it's hard to pick a favorite um, author. There's so many names that come to mind, like Terry Fallis and William Deverall and Janet Ivanovich. But, you know, I think if I had to pick one uh, author that I really sticks out in my mind, I'm going to say Will Ferguson. And um, I actually had a chance to hear him at a conference. And he is one seriously funny guy. Uh, I just loved his talk. Yeah, he's he was hilarious. Anyway, uh, Will Ferguson's won the Stephen Leacock uh, Medal for Humor three times um, for his writing. But he's also a very versatile um, writer, and I think he's won a Giller or two on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, two, of, two of his favorite humorous books of mine were Shoe on the Roof, um, which was about a psychologist who is trying to cure three homeless guys who all believe that they are God. So that was quite hilarious. And then his book, Happiness, which uh, I really loved as well. And it's about an overworked editor at this press, and he's desperate for a new a big hit, the, the company wants a new big hit for their fall collection and he's got nothing. Yeah. He's got nothing to propose. So he hauls out this um, old self-help manuscript and um, that was rejected earlier and he just retitles it and pitches it and it really takes off and it becomes a number one hit. And then, and then everybody that reads it falls into this plague of happiness. And, and uh, so he's trying to uncover what makes this book such a hit and why is everybody happy, you know, that, that reads it. So those, those I, I think, are two of my favorite of his books. Okay, okay. Carol Ann, how about you? The same question. Any comedian or well, author? I was just 
listening to Alice there, and I would love to have for us to be seized by a plague of happiness. I mean, <laughs> anything would be better than what we have now, right? <laughs> um, I studied the Seinfeld series like a textbook. Jerry was the only normal person, and the humor was his reaction to the other ones. Doc Martin is another great comedy series with delicious, sarcastic British humor. And Gerald Durrell's books about growing up in Corfu with his English family during the war were hilarious, especially if you're familiar with Greek culture. The thoroughly British Durrells thought they were normal, while the Greeks thought they were all insane. The clash of the cultures was brilliant, a bit like my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. And how about you, Eric? Um, well, you touched on it um, a little bit of uh, you know, troubled times right now. Um, and originally, uh, what comes to mind is the, the late night pundits like uh, Stephen Colbert and John Oliver. Uh, just because you know it, politics right now is so sour, and you could you can either look at it you know, really negatively, but humor has the ability to sort of spin it to be like, oh, okay, you know, like that was funny, and it gives a a different tone, I guess, yeah. to bad stuff. And I guess it kind of deals a little bit with crime novels too. Um, I'm thinking of uh, my friend, AJ Devlin. Yeah. Um, he writes the Hammerhead Jed series. Uh, and it's a dark noir, but he infuses so much comedy into it that it's fun. Uh, and it's sort of a way to make uh, serious subjects very fun. Uh, I think probably maybe one of the best at it out is Kathy Ace. Uh, she's a great writer, Canadian writer from BC also. Um, and just brilliant. Her Kate Morgan series, uh, a good puzzle-solving mystery laced with a lot of good fun humor. Okay, okay. Well, gosh, for me, thinking about our times, I remember one night I saw Robin Williams on Johnny Carson, and it was so good to laugh. And I think right now, I've been very excited about this podcast because I really think right now we really need some laughter. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, it was Robin Williams on Johnny Carson and Johnny Carson, even he was just in stitches like, and that it's infectious, you know, just seeing his reaction too. And then um, during these times, I remember one point watching uh stand up. I can't remember his name at the moment. And I found his jokes. I guess you could classify them. He didn't swear. Okay. So there was no foul language. <laughs> his subject matter was very, let's just say, risque. And I remember I was just laughing and laughing. And my spouse looks at me and he goes, do your sisters know what type of sense of humor you have? And I went, no, <laughs> right, it's bad. <laughs> right. So... But if there's no language like in it, it, yeah. So, okay. Okay. So I found when I was working on dealer's child, the darker I went with the violence, I start gravitating to lighter moments. So kind of having a bit of a teeter totter, trying to balance the narrative. Did either of you find that the more serious or dark your novel went, the more humor started to come out. Um, Carol Ann, can we start with you? Again, the good old Crown Council office. Um, <laughs> yes, when, when I write a violent or sad scene, I try to balance it with something lighter. 
Uh, and as a secretary at Crown Council, I was exposed to a never-ending string of violence, evil, and sadness every day. We, use a we used a lot of dark humor to diffuse and dilute the reality that we were faced with every day. Otherwise, I think we would have gone slightly over the edge ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alice, how about you? you you're... I remember your last one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do find myself doing the same thing as, as uh, both of you. And that is uh, if I'm writing a longer stretch of serious or darker material, um, then, you know, I, I, I like to lighten it up. And, and I like your description, Joanna, of it being a bit like a teeter-totter um, because that, that's kind of what it becomes. But, you know, and even as a reader, I find it hard to read something that only sort of goes in one direction, you know, with disaster after disaster after disaster, you know, right to the final big disaster at the climax. And, um, you know, life isn't often like that, thankfully. And uh, so I think uh, readers prefer their novels to follow sort of the up and down um, ebbs and flows pattern, you know, of real life. And, um, Alice, and, uh, yeah. just just one moment. They're doing construction. Oh, <laughs> just one, and as you guys can tell, Ozzy has in the room. Just one moment. All right, Alice. Um, Ozzy hopefully has settled down. <laughs> Please continue. Um, yeah, I I also find that uh, I think that readers, for the most part, um, also prefer their no novel. Uh, that they're reading to follow these up and down ebbs and flow pattern of real life. And so I think we as authors can imitate that pattern, you know, by injecting some lighter scenes in amongst our darker scenes. Okay. Okay. So Eric, how about you with your novels? Um, I think it depends. Uh, no, in Death and Happening Bay, which uh, is meant to be entertaining reading, um, you know, there's a good puzzle in there, but obviously I want my reader to just enjoy themselves. So there's humor whenever humor can fit itself in, yeah. um, trying to stay on the lighter side. I, I know when I, my critique group, people will often be like, well, more tension, more tension. And it's like, no, I don't want the tension. I want to keep it light. And even though we're dealing with dark subject matter, I'm trying to keep it as light as possible. Uh, but that being said, uh, uh, I should have said in my credentials, I'm also a publisher and I edit people's work. And right now I'm doing a series of um, horror stories from my uh, uh, my friend uh, Carlos Lozano. Um, and I don't think there's any humor in there at all. Uh, I think the goal of these short stories is to create tension uh, with a payoff, almost like a joke in the sense that you build tension now and then there's a payoff at the end. And humor would ruin that tension. Um, yeah. We don't, we don't want to let go of the gas in that situation. We want to keep it going. And you, you've meant to be other writers and short story writers. You know, in a short story, you don't have too much time to deal with the roller coaster. Um, you just want to portray that emotion. And that emotion isn't humor. <laughs> so you keep, you keep your foot on the gas in that space. So it depends on what you're writing. Very true. Very true. Okay. So, Eric, I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, I remember... Nero, that he was the dog on the cover of Death and Half Moon Bay, and how you wrote about Nero trotting through the house, and your sleuth, Suzanne Rickson, lives in Estrada, and um, 
let me tell you, I have absolutely new respect and understanding of living in a strata, given that one day my laundry habits were on the Facebook chat group. <laughs> okay. So yes, that's going into a story. So have you found life events have made good or light, funny moments in your book? And you could give us an example or do you, could, would you like to read a little, a little bit from your book? Sure. Um, it's uh, obviously, uh, uh, my book is based a little bit on reality. Um, but the inspiration of the book is actually um, the characters of Suzanne and Charles Rickson are my parents. Um, and they live in the Sunshine Coast. I mean, the beginning, you know, the what if moment that started the book was uh, in reality, my mom was having this massive, long-standing uh, riotous uh, uh, relationship with her strata president or uh, HOA president. Uh, and it went on for a very, very long time. And it um, was one issue after another. And, you know, the being a mystery writer that I am, I thought, what if somebody died in that situation? <laughs> and and uh, strata politics, as you were saying, uh, can, can be vicious. So it was already like a lot of tension that would be there for me. Um, but at the same time, there's the relationship between Suzanne and Charles, which again is based on my parents, and you know, a long-standing relationship. And in a sense, they're a little bit of an odd couple. Uh, you know, they opposites attract sort of thing. Uh, but they've been together for so long that they accept each other. So the let's say we can call it bickering <laughs> when they're really together but it's not it's it's not mean to each other it's just you know they're they're used to each other's ways and yeah. there's comment that slides from here to there and yeah. i'm like mom dad you shouldn't say those things in front of me anymore i'm writing them down <laughs> um, so 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 there is sort of that um relationship of them trying to figure each other out all the time um so you know, Nero is a particular, even though my character's a real, I added Nero um, for a little bit more that a, a cute dog is sort of a, uh, a trope for all cozy mysteries. And so I, I added a, the dog's actually inspired by my uh, my uh, brother-in-law's dog, just like those French bulldogs are so cute. So <laughs> he was him. Um, in this scene, um, Suzanne and Charles are, uh, well, Charles is just waking up. The strata president, the fictitious strata president is Regina. Yeah. Um, and uh, in this case, uh, so there's a mention of her. There's also another fictitious character named Laval, uh, the, the police officer. And uh, Suzanne's been trying to, Suzanne right from the beginning made up her mind that if there was a murder, it had to be Regina. Uh, so she's been trying to sway the police to believe this too. So this is near the end of the book. Suzanne made breakfast very loudly in hopes of waking Charles. She succeeded. He groaned as he trudged down the stairs. He favored his right side and it was clear that his left hip and knee were still sore. Charles appeared to be in a foul mood, but the smell of bacon quickly turned his spirits around. <laughs> What's the occasion, he asked. No occasion. It's a simple token to show my appreciation for you. Bacon served twice in one week? No, something's up. He stood behind her and eyed the three scrumptious strips that were just starting to coil in the frying pan. I think I had Regina right where I want her, and the valve is on board. Breakfast is ready. She wiped away the excess fat from the bacon and placed them beside 
a slice of toast and a fresh cut cantaloupe. Sit, sit, everything is done. Charles sat down in his chair. A hot cup of green tea was already on the table waiting for him. A smile grew on his face. How did you get Laval to agree with you, he asked. That's the beauty of it. I didn't. He got there on his own. After serving her husband, Suzanne prepared a bowl of hot oatmeal and sat down opposite him. All alone, she recounted her telephone conversation with Laval. Ah, so mystery solved, Charles said when she was done. Not completely, but almost. Not your mystery, dear, he said. My mystery. How did I get to have bacon twice in one week? Answer, you're in a good mood. <laughs> or, or perhaps I'm trying to knock you off by feeding you excessive amounts of sodium nitrate and saturated fats. Did you ever consider that? It's not murder if the victim happily eats it. We can't live forever, so we may as well live happily. Charles devoured his breakfast. So just a cute scene, right? Like, uh, yeah. it, in a lot of ways, it doesn't even uh, advance the plot that much. Um, yeah. But it just shows the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Okay. So, Carol Ann, taking from your bio, you write, you say, humor sneaks into Carol Ann's writing. It's unavoid unavoidable, she says. Um, I've been blessed with funny friends, relatives, and situations. And you say humor pounces at the least appropriate at times. And you quote Oscar Wilde, life is too important to be taken seriously. So Carol Ann, tying into the yin and yang of Eric's question about real life events. I have read your short stories and, you know, we crit critiquing your novel in progress. And there was a particular short story titled, I Won't Mention It. Now, that story was written in the first person, and you are in a dire situation in a hospital with a feta bucket. And I am reading this story, and I am telling myself, I shouldn't be laughing about this situation. I shouldn't be laughing, but how you wrote it, it's funny. And I think I apologized to you at one point. I said, I am so, so sorry, I am laughing at this. So... <laughs> Do you see humor as a way of coping with life stresses? Definitely. Um, most of the life stresses are funny, especially when you look back at them. Um, I, I was probably the first person ever to stumble into the Whistler Healthcare Clinic vomiting in a feta bucket. The whole I won't mention it occasion was way beyond terrifying at the time. But after I realized it was a series of humorous happenings strung together with fear and anxiety. Yeah. Um, I can read a little bit from that uh, yeah. story. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to die. Nobody in Whistler knows anything about intestinal blockages. If it's not ski, a ski, mountain bike, or golf injury, they won't have a clue. My husband kept driving. With my face the color of guacamole, I, slurch, I lurched into the Whistler Healthcare Center with a Greek feta bucket tucked under my chin while my husband parked the car. Wearing my son's old sweatpants, holy t-shirt, Birkenstocks, thick wool socks, and somebody's giant purple ski jacket, I took my place in line. I told the receptionist my name and gave her my library card. <laughs> That's very nice. Do you have a medical card? I dove back into my bottomless Killeen bag and produced my care card. What's your problem, she asked. I have an intestinal blockage. She didn't even say, oh, what? 
Have you been vomiting? Duh. Does this feta bucket look like a fashion statement? Copiously, I replied. And your pain, how would you describe it? Excruciating, like giving birth to a grand piano. She wrote intense on the form. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your pain? 27. <laughs> Please have a seat. We'll call you when a bed is available. Parked on a chair close to the washroom beside a 20-something glamazon skier with an ice pack on her arm, I looked like a thrift store reject, but appearance wasn't my goal today. In Victoria, it's nothing to wait hours in emergency, so surrounded by my personal cloud of misery, I settled in with the fashion-coordinated bent and broken skiers preparing for a long stay. Within 10 minutes, the triageners called Papoutsis, who else would be sitting here clutching a Greek feta bucket? She gave me a cardboard bowl shaped like one of the queen's hats to replace the bucket, more medically correct for this venue, then led me to the treatment area where they verified my ID, took my blood pressure, discovered I hardly had any, and assigned me to bed five. And that's it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you. It's like I hear some sarcasm in that too. And I like that. I find, you know, like I, I like, I grew up in a, I grew up in a sarcastic family and uh, yeah. Okay. Alice in your first book, your heroine, Georgia Knight is having car issues. And at that time I was having car issues. I had this 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 flooding I you know on the on the floor of the car and no one could figure out where this water was coming from like you know just yeah and through now it's jumping jalopy is that the jalopy. yeah it's jumping jalopies jalopy okay and Georgia keeps going to jumping jalopies to get a to get a car and I think I remember that when I interviewed you I said is she ever going to get a nice car because <laughs> right? I feel so bad for her so tying together what Eric and Carol Ann have said is it only logical that if you want to write humor you don't try to be funny okay but you look at life events what 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 do you what do you think? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. I, I think uh, life is the best um, source of inspiration for our humor, and uh, I think a lot of the great comedians, you know, uh, also use real life um, events or situations, you know, that they can exaggerate or build on. And uh, I think our day to day lives provide uh, so much fodder for humor. Um, as Caroline said, may, you know, they, they may not look funny at the time, but when we look back at them, they can uh, be hilarious. And uh, when we start looking at it from a different perspective, and I think all of us probably have seen, heard, or experienced things that, you know, later you step back and say, um, you really can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> the stuff that happens to you in real life. And um, so, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, I give my protagonist and, and I'm working on book five and she's still driving crappy, <laughs> crappy cars. Uh, but the, the reason I gave her these uh, crappy cars to drive, because that's what life is really like. Um, and uh, who hasn't had car troubles? 
And uh, they always show up at the worst possible time. You know, when you're in a big hurry or you have some big event to go to and your car is giving you trouble. So um, George's car often adds that element into the story of, uh, oh, oh no, or you've got to be kidding me um, yeah. in an already tense situation. And, and so even though it's humorous, it can sort of add to, you know, this feeling of, oh, oh it's going to get worse here. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, I also think it makes the, our characters, if we do something like that in our writing, make um, make them humorous or put them in humorous situations. It makes them more re uh, relatable to yeah. our readers. Yeah, because everybody can sort of see similar events in their life. Well, now I'm as a reader, I'm thinking, OK, what is she going to be driving next? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I know. In in this new book that's just coming out in September, she's driving a Ford F-150, but the um, air conditioning is stuck on high, oh, on cold. And so with fall approaches, you know, she's taken to uh, dressing in a, it, she's duct taped all the vents for starters, but it's still cold. So she starts dressing in snow pants and, and a parka on, on surveillance. And so I have this one scene where she spots the guy and she gets out and she starts running after him. And he's kind of an old out of shape kind of guy and he's wearing like pajama pants and you know but she can't keep up because of her ski pants you know because she's been wearing <laughs> these ski pants in in the cab of her truck so yeah the then in the next book it's a ford f-150 with the air conditioning stuck on high and immediately i'm thinking switch 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 we've all done that <laughs> so, so do you want to read uh a from one of your books? Okay, well, I can read a, a scene from my second book, which was called Night Trials. And, uh, and uh, so in this book, um, in this particular scene, George has just come back from a date with um, a street minister that she had met. And um, things have not quite gone the way she had expected on this date. So she's telling her friend, her best friend, Gab, about it. The bartender set a couple of drinks down in front of the couple to my left. Glancing my way, he raised an eyebrow. Something strong, I said, scotch or bourbon. Oh, wait, nothing with a man's name on the label. <laughs> Gab and my Oban Highland single malt arrived at the same time. Gab ordered a Cosmopolitan. Once her Cosmo arrived, she lifted her glass. Cheers. Damn him, I responded. Who, the bartender? No, Aiden. Oh dear, Aiden. Perhaps the universe is planning to send you someone better. Always the optimist. I mean, better for you, Gab in, in, interjected. Right. I took a sip of whiskey, letting it slowly slide down my throat, fighting the urge to knock back the entire glass. Come on, Georgia, you'll find the right guy. You're smart, gorgeous, funny, kind-hearted. Gee, too bad you're not a guy. Does that mean you and Aiden are just friends? I don't know. I'm so annoyed and mad, mostly at myself. What happened? Well, we had planned a picnic for today out at Bragg Creek. You know, go for a walk, have some wine, maybe build a small cozy fire. At least that's what I had envisioned. This morning, he sent me a text and suggested we meet out there. I got there shortly before noon. He showed up 40 minutes late. 40 minutes, not cool. 
did he at least text or call to say he was going to be late? Nope. And when he arrived, he had three kids with him, teenagers. No way. Yes, way. Oh, no. What did you do? Well, what could I do? I plastered a grin on my face and followed them down along the river to a picnic spot. No wine or beer, though, you know, because of the underage moppets. What did the five of you talk about? I can't even imagine. Well, the kids blithered on and on. One of the boys kept asking if we'd see bears. He wanted to know if they ate people. He was absolutely salivating when we told him bears were known to attack and kill people. That kid's going to be a problem when he grows up. Then we hiked. By the time our three-hour little jaunt was over, I was ready to go home and drink myself stupid. But no, they insisted I throw rocks in the river with them. You got to be kidding. Gab snorted and picked up her glass. Wait, it gets better. And Aiden pulls out one of those collapsible fishing rods and he starts teaching the kids how to fish. I guess he takes the Bible literally. A choking noise made me glance over at Gab as she spit a mouthful of Cosmo back into her glass and threw her head back laughing. I chuckled despite of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so another open mic question. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Eric. I'm almost leery to read mine because you guys are a top act. <laughs> so we're going to do another question before I put, and I'll, I'll, I'll get some, you know, some strength and bravery here. So another open mic question. Okay, I'm going to start with you, Eric. Your son comes up to you and says he needs to write a funny essay for an English assignment, what would you say to him? That's a really hard question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember like this memory of when I was his age, um, ripping with my friends, beginning it's hilarious in the backseat of a car. And eventually like the, the, my friend's mom turned around and told us to shut up, like just, just stop. And what we thought was hilarious you know, was driving her nuts. Um, it's come full circle now because my kids have this crazy humor and they just, the two boys just ride it for too long. And I'm just like, please be quiet. <laughs> We're in COVID, I have to live with you. I don't want to listen to this all day long. So I think if I gave him any advice, like this teacher would almost be like, well, you didn't write that. Because <laughs> I, I, I know your humor. Um, Although, like, we once were watching this little show and this, uh, I think it was TikTok or something, and this pub was trying to jump over a log, and it did make it, and it tumbled yeah. over. For some reason, that, that, that slapstick bonded us all. So, yeah. you know, maybe sometimes with humor, you got to find the, the, the common bond that um, all humans can agree on. It's just finding, like, yeah. not being able to <laughs> jump over a log. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about you, uh, Alice? If... Uh, yeah, I would I would probably say to my son, uh, gosh, what a great assignment. And you've got so much material to work with. And uh, so, <laughs> so you could write about maybe the time Tess, our Sheltie, ate our Halloween pumpkin. And so for the, yeah, I hear the gasp. For those of you who are dog owners, you can, you know what happened next. Um, or, <laughs> or you can write about the time we were returning uh, from vacation and and uh, our son was about 10 at the time and we get to the Canadian border security guards and they turn to him and say 
are these your real parents? And he says, no, um, no, they're not. And uh, very hilarious, but maybe not at the moment. But, you know, I would encourage him to go with something like that. <laughs> How about you, Carol Ann? There's so many times that like we had a snowboard apparently went all the way down the stairs and halfway through the wall at the bottom, which my son said it went by itself. <laughs> We've had oh, all kinds of things like that. So what I would tell him is, what do you mean? You've been a contributing member to this traveling nut show for 16 years and you can't think of anything funny. <laughs> now, I think of the late Stuart McLean. He took everyday life and turned it into a comedy act. Have any of you, while writing, read a scene that you've written and realized that you need to tweak the setup leading into the funny moment? I think of the delivery. Let's start with you, Eric. Have you ever like, changed writing to get that setup? Pacing is everything. Um, in humor, intention, um, you know, you know, like you earlier said, the teeter-totter. Um, you don't want your setup to go too long. Uh, even when you have the greatest joke in the world, you can't spend two pages setting it up um, or it just takes up too much time. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be swift with it. Um, you want to build, um, knowing that the payoff is coming, you want to build it um, and you want to do it quickly and efficiently. So that's what the, I guess, the editing is, right? <laughs> that's yeah. the, how can I how can I smooth that out? How can I make this faster? How can I still get to my point without, uh, you know, going around bushes and stuff like that um, yeah. and staying to it? But at the same time, if there's not enough buildup, there's just no, there's not as much of a payoff, right? So yeah. if a joke comes out of nowhere and then just gets quickly forgotten, you, you lose it too. So yes, pacing is everything. Okay. How about you, Alice? Like with the Yeah, I'm I, I'm not sure if I jig the scene so much, but I can remember many occasions in when, when I'm writing where I have to write a particular type of scene and I start writing it, and then I sit back and think, you know, this would be so much more funnier if I did something else. So for example, in uh, night trials, um Georgia, my protagonist, is being um, um, stalked, essentially, yeah. by a guy who's leaving her, you know, creepy notes about her past. So, and um, so she's, uh, this stalker's even delivered black dahlias to her condo, so he knows where she lives and stuff, and so um, towards the end of the book, I have a scene where, you know, all this bad stuff's happened to her, and her new love interest decides that you know he's going to send her some flowers and I thought well it, she could just get flowers you know but based on what had been happening in the story and with the stalker and stuff I decided to have her neighbor deliver the flowers and, and I can read a bit from it, yeah. that if you would like okay yeah. so so there's this knock on the door and she's always been you know she's still recovering from you know other episodes that has happened um, I peered through the I peered through the people. Mrs. Wilson stood on the other side. She was holding something. I slipped off the chain and opened the door crack. She leered at me. Her lips pulled back tight in what I had come to recognize as her way of appearing sociable. <laughs> Mrs. Wilson, good evening. 
These are for you, she said, thrusting a flower arrangement in my hands. Oh, uh, thank you. My heart started racing. Don't be stupid. They're not for me. Her smile made her seem creepy. Her rough staccato voice made her sound mean. I must have looked confused. You weren't home, so the florist left them with me. Can't trust anyone these days to do what they're paid to do. That's some shiner, kid. My eye w- hand went to my eye. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's getting better. It looks terrible, though. Car accident. She humped my explanation and turned to walk away. Well, thanks for taking care of these for me. I nodded at the flower arrangement, still swaddled in layers of purple tissue and clear cellophane. Whatever. Let's not make it a habit. <laughs> so, so I, you know, so I, I just looked for the, you know, it just came to me while I was writing and I thought, well, you know, how boring is these, these flowers being delivered? And uh, so I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll just play off what has been happening in the story a bit. And yeah, uh, yeah. Good, good. How about you, Caroline? What do you think about um, having set up yeah, uh, um, delivery? For sure. I often have to set up a funny moment or reply. It's lurking there waiting to jump out, but it needs a bit of help, like an unsuspecting someone or something to bounce it off of, or a situation that needs a little nudge to make it funny. In my experience, you can't just write funny. You have to be able to laugh at yourself or see yourself as the object of humor before you can project it onto your characters. Yeah. And I'll read a little, one more little bit from my, my story here. Yeah. I'm at the hospital in Whistler. It's 10 o'clock at night. The clinic closes. So they gave me half a dilaudid pill and sent me home with the IV thingy. That's a medical term. Still stuck <laughs> in my arm, secured with a stylish black mesh glove. On our way out, the nurse gave me a business card. Phone during the night if you have problems and the on-call doctor will meet you here. Boy, that's friendly. They never do that in Victoria. Come back in the morning for a saline top-up and further assessment. Dilaudid is a wonderful little drug. I don't remember going home or navigating the stairs up to bed. But during the night, the blockage resolved. The culprit, a rogue mushroom chunk. (laughs) Don't know how that one got past the food police. By morning, feeling almost human, I returned to the clinic, this time dressed more appropriately. They checked me over, removed the thingy from my arm and said I was good to go. I thanked everyone and went on my way. The last time I had a blockage in Victoria, I waited seven hours in emergency. They told me I had an abdominal mass and kept me prisoner for three days eating jello, which is a a toxic substance allegedly composed of sugar and horses hooves and soup made with swamp water. When they released me, I weighed 78 pounds and really was sick. Now I try to have my blockages in Whistler where they treat me quickly with way less trauma and no jello. Meanwhile, I'm looking for someone, preferably a doctor, who does intestinal surgery in his or her garage on weekends with no waiting list. <laughs> oh dear. That's why I felt bad laughing. Right. But I did. <laughs> okay. So Is there anything the three of you would like to add? Anything that I haven't covered? Um, Yeah. How how much longer do I have to wait for a dealer's job? Actually, Eric, it's out now. I'm I'm actually, I want to do some sort of a, I subscribe to your, and I subscribe to Alice's. I subscribe to both of your newsletters and um, to look up some things for this podcast. 
Eric, I know you have an article or a post in your newsletter about Facebook ads. So um, mm -hmm. I'm going to be putting out some sort of a some sort of an ad, but it's uh yeah, it's 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 out there now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, any you said you had a Zoom launch? Yes, I do. I have a virtual launch. It's on October 2nd. And I'm going, I, I think all, all of you are Facebook friends. So heads up, I'm going to send everybody an invite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and hopefully, do you think the dog will behave? <laughs> right? He'll, he'll provide my humor. <laughs> okay. You know, so. Um, it would be the same if he was silent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, no, that's on October 2nd from 6 to 7.30. So I'm just ironing out a few details yet. But yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fun. So, yeah, good. So like I say, anything you want to add, Alice? Oh, I've got a, something here. I, I don't think that humorous writing is given enough credit. People tend to think of it as, as shallow or insignificant, fun to read, but easily forgotten. But we know better. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you, Carolyn. And uh, I love that quote at the beginning from Oscar Wilde, uh, life's too important to be taken seriously. And um, I think it's an awesome quote. Um, I, you know, and, and Joanna, you were mentioning at the beginning how, you know, now more than ever, we need humor in our lives with what's happening out there. Okay. And I'm talking about the politics, not the COVID. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to get that in. Um, but uh you know, we need to find um, daily moments of joy, you know, to to laugh uh, uh, at life sometimes and uh, relax and have some fun. I mean, if we don't, um, I mean, cha life's challenging enough and, and who wants to turn it into a, you know, it's, uh, you know, we should be enjoying it along the way. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, thank you, you guys. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate this. Okay. Thank you for, Thank Thank you for inviting us. It was great. Yeah, and good to meet you, Allison and Eric. Yeah. Good. Likewise. Thank you. Okay. Likewise. Yes. Nice to meet you all. Yeah. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.